Mission Among Young People is the theme of this month's audio mission. We'll meet pioneers in this area from Uganda and Peru. But first, we travel to Southeast Asia, to Taiwan, where CMS mission partner Catherine Lee has been serving with the local church for the past 15 years. She's based at St. John's University and has a wide-ranging role. She talked to Jeremy Woodham on a recent visit to CMS and sketched out the picture of Christianity in Taiwan before talking more about the student work. The number of Christians in Taiwan is not more than about 5% of the population. The largest two denominations are Roman Catholic and Presbyterian. And the Anglican church is very small. We've just one diocese. We've got about 15 churches. We have about 2,000 church members. And on average Sunday, there's about not over 1,000 in the congregations. The church is very outreaching, very much has an attitude of we need to do outreach into the community. That hasn't always been the case. Traditionally, it's relied upon just natural growth, meaning, you know, church members having children and them growing up in the churches. But increasingly, they realise that the church is not going to grow unless we do outreach. And we have a very active outreach programme. Our bishop really encourages all our churches to go out and share the gospel. When uh, Taiwanese people respond to the gospel, what is it? in particular that inspires them, appeals to them? Quite often it is because we're showing love and we're showing care for them and for example the students in our university, that's one of the things that attracts them, they find it's a very caring community the student fellowship, so they will get involved with that. A lot of them have problems at home and they will feel that this is more, becomes like a second home for them. A lot of older people the oldest, the older people are the hardest to evangelise because they've got a lot of traditions, that customs that have been passed down through the generations and particularly in the rural areas have got a lot of temples and that has quite a strong hold on the people but uh, the general fear of death there is a lot of fear of death and the traditions around the death and the customs of the funerals and things when uh, sometimes they go to a Christian funeral and they are very moved a lot of older people are moved by a Christian funeral and the hope and the beauty and the resurrection and all that so they they show an interest and I've heard people come to us and say we want to be baptized we want to become a Christian because I want a Christian funeral and then we can share the gospel and you know share with them about what it's all about but there's also the business people and the uh, professional people and they're the, the idea of God's blessing and uh, you know that uh, God will bless you and uh, you have any problems you can come to God and he will help you so that is also a very attractive it's also a big challenge because uh, it's very easy for the prosperity gospel to uh, find great uh, roots in the Chinese culture because of this uh, the drive to succeed and to make money I think that's very strong and so the idea that wealth and prosperity and status and good education these are all important but uh, my witness is that this is not the most important thing in the world and that uh, our calling as faithful Christians is more important and that a kind of simple lifestyle that you don't need to have all these things in order to be someone who is successful in the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of this world and uh, a lot of a lot of the work is helping others to share the gospel uh, as well as direct sharing the gospel myself 
So helping others to share the gospel, well, in what ways do you do that? The student fellowship in our university, uh, most of the students there will not yet be Christians. We hope that by the end of their four years at the university they may have been baptised, but many of them are on their way, but they're not there yet, and they will say, I'm not a Christian, I can't be a Christian. And so when we come to running the summer holiday programmes for the children in the local area or in other churches, these are non-Christian children that are coming. And so we need students to do drama and we need to uh, do the stories, and games and water fights and all that sort of thing and our students all sign up to do this they sign up to tell a bible story but they're not yet christians and so they're kind of learning as they go along and it's really quite amazing to see they like children and they want to get to know the children and this is a chance for them so they end up studying the bible story they end up joining in the the team that all the uh, young people's team of um who are going to go out and share the gospel they get involved in the prayer meetings and the uh, the life together during the summer camp and all the preparations and then they actually go and do it and they actually go and meet the local children and share the gospel with them and in the process they often find christ for themselves so it's really quite wonderful to see these non-christian students doing outreach <laughs> and actually becoming christians themselves so we've had quite a lot of experience of that i wonder is there a story you could tell of, of anyone that has kind of exemplifies that i've got one student at the moment who is studying industrial engineering Engineering, and he really does not like industrial engineering, but his parents have encouraged him because he's it's a, you can get a job with industrial engineering. What he really likes is English. And so he started to come along because I was offering free English chat classes. Not, it's not class as such, it's a chat room class. And But my chat class, conversation class, happens in my house and it always starts with something from the Bible, a Bible story or something. So he started coming along to that. And most of the other students at it are actually from the student fellowship, not necessarily Christian but they go to the student fellowship and they were having an outreach uh, they were having a kind of an evangelistic outreach once a term and the other students invited him to come along as a kind of bounce not quite a bounce a waiter because they were going to serve a meal and uh, these non-christians would come and they would serve the meal he had never been to the student fellowship before until he found himself at this evangelistic outreach actually serving as a waiter and on the team of those who are helping so it was through that that he started to come to the uh, evening meetings and get involved and then he met one of the students and he, his hometown is not far from one of our other students who goes to a local church there so she invited him to go to her church he started to go there and now this is his second year he's been involved he's one of the leaders of the student fellowship and uh, not yet baptized not yet a christian i think he would say but well on the way and also he had the chance in the summer to go to india and to go on a kind of program to help at one of the orphanages and so this is really Really changed him, and little by little, he is coming to round. And I think possibly by the time I get back to Taiwan uh, uh, next April, I would be not surprised to hear that he has been baptised. So uh, this is a very wonderful story of how it can start with just someone with an interest in English and lead on. He's already done all the holiday clubs. He was organising the holiday clubs last summer, and yet he's not yet a Christian. But he's organising the drama and the stories and the games, and then through that, we get involved in the team and the prayer meetings and the preparation and going to the church and now he's got to know a lot of Christians and he's really quite challenged so we're hoping for great things. Let's pray for the students and all those whom Catherine interacts with in a varied and fast-moving culture and mission life. Before working in Taiwan, Catherine was a mission partner in Tanzania for seven years and now we move back to East Africa, to Uganda, to meet Richard Rakundo, a CMS Timothy mission partner with the Church of Uganda. He's been pioneering new approaches to children's work and the important area of safeguarding children among a very youthful population. 
Our communications intern Tyler Overton talked to him at the CMS offices and first asked him what were the main focus areas of his work. Currently, the children's programme has been focused mainly on, uh, on around four or five things. One is to see whether we can do advocacy programmes for the children's ministry. We realise that children's ministry is not very uh, yet accepted or planned for, put into the real planning of the church. So one of the things I did was to do an advocacy campaign of how do churches, through the leadership of the churches, through the clergy, the parish councils, all being involved in saying, Children are priority. We need to plan for them. We need to put them in our budgets. We need to think about how do they, if you're building a church, think about where the children will pray from. All those are very important. Advocating for the work of the children. Have children's workers, for example, necessary should employ children's workers, people who are qualified, who know what to do and are paid by the church or maybe supported by the church to work as children's coordinator. So children's ministry being advocacy was being number one. Number two was training programs. And now training programs was to see that we train and equip the teachers who work with the children. And this can be teachers in the schools, teachers in the churches, but those who know what to do and how to do it. Because oftentimes the volunteers come and they don't have any skill or any knowledge of what do I know, how do I do it. And so we're trying to massively train. And so far we already have trained around, uh, around 2,700 teachers into different dioceses, over 21 dioceses having them to work as trained teachers who know what to do and how to do it into doing children's work. Uh, the other thing that has been very important for me as, as a child is, is schools. Now, schools, uh, we own a lot of schools. We realize statistics are very many, 5,600 primary schools. So we have a lot of schools that church owns, but often we don't have enough pastoral team to be there as, as chaplains. And so what I did was to initiate a program of training lay chaplains, so that we can have people who are there, either as teachers or can volunteer actually to be all in the schools and work as stewards, work as shepherds, work as, 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 uh, as spiritual leaders in the schools. So I have been able to successfully train over 350. Richard, you mentioned that 94% of uh, children in Uganda have been abused. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, like where that statistic came from? It's a pretty shocking figure. I, I think uh, you're right. Currently, what is happening, the police gives us actually statistics of what is happening. Uganda is uh, almost 70% young people below the age of 18. And for the statistics, it also shows from the age of, uh, say, one year to 18 years when you're still young. Every child there will tell you they either have been uh, emotionally abused, uh, physically abused, sexually abused. or And you'll find less than 10% actually of kids who say, I've grown all my years of uh, from 1 to 18 and I've not seen either emotional abuse, sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, or or a kind of or form which is described as abuse anyway. Partly it's because our societies also do not seem to maybe rate abuse. Some things are happening because community approves them and and they are part of the society and part of the cultural practices. Some things happen and people think oh, that's uh, not abuse in our definition, but we all know that international standards actually we would be do- we're doing badly. One of the things I've heard you emphasize is your desire to kind of um, help bring transformation to society through kind of um, letting Jesus transform the lives uh, of, of these children. So could you maybe tell us some like specific stories of transformation that, that you have seen? I met a young lady, uh, one of the people I've nurtured, and she actually was, she was HIV positive. 
and she had been uh, her parents died when she, they were young all three of them and she, they were born with hiv uh, during their birth they acquired hiv aids and she really had lost hope she was in university and she really was sickly and she never wanted to actually be part of the ministry a lot more uh, when I met her, she, I, I, I didn't actually get to know the story first from her. I got to know the story from her f- the cousins who told me, you know, her family, she's very far away. And getting to know her generation and knowing that actually she, she was HIV positive, born with HIV, she was okay. So at that time, she was actually in university already, but she didn't seem like she had hope of what would happen. So after university, I'm, I, I called her and said, what do you want to do? And at that time, she was going to club and she would dance and and I said okay since you know how to dance I think you can come and help with dancing with my children's choir and she came by and she was dancing with the children and from the dancing she actually became a teacher leader and the children confided in her down the road she began helping to prepare the lessons doing everything now over five six years ago now she's one of the main leaders in that church she's a transformed story she was a girl who was not anywhere close to church or something close to. But I found that she had a gift. Actually, when I brought her first to work with the church, everyone thought, no. Her character, her personality, even I remember the elders called me and put me in a meeting and said, who's this lady? Who, what do you want her to do with our children? Please send her away. And I said, actually, the first month, I paid her my own salary to stay. And one of the parents who was in the meeting when they were telling me to send her away came to me after and I told me, I said, I'll give you some money to give her for transport. And that's how we began with her. When Now the church praises her. Now the church looks at her as a role model. But I wish she knew where she came from. She came from just initiative of someone picking out on her. So for me, I believe the church is like that. To give hope. Those, if someone is like that, they, they, can we give them hope? Can we encourage them? Can we give them a contribution to society and now she's been doing very well she works very well she's a mentor to many young people she's been helping them and and I praise the Lord for her because had I never met her and taken her on despite all the discouragement everyone had and for telling me to let her go she didn't look like one of those Christian girls who can give any good morals to her children but I stuck to let's see how now she's the role model she's the example of everybody so I believe yes it's possible to transform And yes, that's what our calling should be. We give thanks with Richard for that example of a transformed life and pray for many more through his work and for the many people he is training for children's ministry. Pray for him too as he continues to promote children's work throughout the church in Uganda. Now we cross the sea again to Peru and a shanty settlement in its capital, Lima. Here, mission partner Pat Blanchard is sharing life and faith with a growing community of vulnerable children and their families. She talked to Sarah Holmes recently and updated her with the progress in the project called Shalom. Shalom started many years ago, um, just finding wheelchairs and supporting children and young adults with special needs and disabilities. And um, we've grown very, very small steps, but very strong steps. And... um, from about four or five uh, children 13 years ago, we've now got over 70 attending our therapy centre on a regular basis, coming to the centre to receive physical therapy, language therapy, occupational therapy and uh, the psychologist's help. And the people that use your services, are they Christians? Um, Not all of them. Some of them will be nominal Catholics because of the, the background. 
those that share faith are very happy to come and we have say the church has been planted out of people that have become Christians and we see you know people coming along to us many say that they are not they don't feel very um, comfortable in their local Catholic church because the children there's no facilities for the children and people think oh keep your child still keep your child quiet and some people feel a bit embarrassed that their children especially if they're autistic or other disabilities you know they often you know cry out or do other things and um, again I don't think the people feel very comfortable in an all perhaps a more formal church setting so they come to us and we have uh, Sunday school we have again children with special needs in that Sunday school we deal with them just as the other children and we accept them and include them um, in all the activities so I think you know for children parents who are looking to continue worshipping and want to find somewhere that will suit them and their children so they can worship together as a family we'll come to Shalom because we we don't turn anybody away and the church that you're talking about that's actually in the Shalom building now yes we've always met in the Shalom building but we've all like got a table out put the cover on the altar but now we have an actual space um we close it off during the week so it makes a small side chapel now downstairs as you come in and um, with the altar with chairs so people can pray we have a bible study in there but on the weekend on the Sunday we open the the, the folding doors and then we can use the whole ground floor to meet and congregate with uh, in for Sunday so it gives us a flexible space I really want wanted it to be people could sense as they walked in there was a christian presence there whereas before you just just walked into a building it was like anybody's front room really so now we have that we have the altar we have the cross and we have those symbols that identify people that we are a christian project not just doing therapy but actually preaching the word and getting alongside people and sharing faith with them and what difference has it made now you've got the new building it's made a big difference really people are really excited we've got more space everything's new as purpose-built as it could be um, using the structure we already had um, no and people are just thrilled to come in we've got big space people often stay we've, we have a mat in the waiting area where we put toys out and sometimes even just children that live in the street come in every afternoon to play and meet with us and sometimes at the end of the evening we shut the shop at 7 o'clock and the people don't want to go home you know <laughs> we put the kettle on we've got a place to meet so having the building means that we can and I'm living there now as well so that for me it's been a thing that I've always wanted to do since I've been in, in working the Chantertown so I just live upstairs I can come down I have my office we've got other rooms and we've just got that more flexibility to do more things spontaneously do different activities and so it is it is a real blessing to us it's probably the best building in the in the neighborhood but it's there for the whole community to be able to use as well you had some wonderful stories that you wanted to tell yeah I mean there's several people um, that I can think of one of them is Felicita She's in her early 50s now. She was um, got polio when she was young and has been unable to walk really very well since a young girl. She tells a story of how she didn't really was able to go to school. She felt very excluded. Her parents hid her away. Her parents are now both dead. She also has a brother with learning difficulties and mental health issues. So she has a real struggle. Um, but we got to know her several years ago and... She, we just happened to meet her again a few years ago and she's come to faith she's brought her sister her brother comes and um, she just keeps bringing people to, to, to the church and she makes these wonderful feathered cards and it just shows a great skill and a great patience and she's a lovely lady who has just blossomed in her faith despite her disability she has many frustrations she falls over regularly now because she has her support she uses on her legs are very badly um, worn she's had them for about 15 years 
we did get a new pair made for her, but she's finding it really difficult to adjust because they're now the right size and rigid. But she's been so used to sloppy supports for such a long time that it's taking a real trouble trials to to get used to them. So she often falls over because the catch breaks or the the knee joint you know flicks over and it doesn't support her. But she st- soldiers on and brings friends in. And, um, yeah, just really gathers people to her. And she's just in the Bible study. She just, just you know, she just shines for the Lord, really, and just really positive in her outlook. And that, for me, I think her evangelism is much more, it has much more power than mine because she is actually a person with disabilities who, you know, despite what she's not able to do, does so much for the Lord. So she's probably your biggest, one of your biggest evangelists. <laughs> I think so, yeah. She's always inviting people to church. She's always telling, you know, saying, oh, can we go and visit so-and-so? Can we go and see somebody? So I often go visiting with her. And I say she is bit by bit transforming her family as well. Um, it's a struggle, but she sees God moving in her lives and in her family in many different ways. Our reflection comes from the Bishop of Durham, the Right Reverend Paul Butler, who has a long association with CMS and was formerly our Chair of Trustees. This is a short excerpt from one of his talks based on Matthew's Gospel at CMS's 2014 Africa Conference, and he returns to the subject of Catherine Lee's interview, reflecting on when being a disciple of Jesus begins. I want to remind us that actually discipleship begins before... Conversion and call. Now, this has been a radical change in my thinking in recent years, I have to say. See, I was always taught that discipleship began after I got converted. And I have to say to you, I think that's wrong. I think God was at work in my life long before. And everything that was happening, and in the way that people were teaching me about the scriptures in the way that people were helping me discover about prayer and worship before I was converted, all is part of how I have subsequently grown as a disciple. So that when we are working with people who we long, we pray for and long for to come to Christ, we have to understand that we are helping them grow as disciples even though they may not yet be aware of it themselves. And uh, that we are in the business of discipling people from the word go. The Right Reverend Paul Butler, Bishop of Durham, closing this month's audio mission. You can listen to all three talks on the CMS website, www.cms-uk.org. See you next time for more interviews with people in mission from all around God's world.